Okay, good morning. Somebody was long-winded this morning, so we're running a little behind. So I'll give you a, a few more minutes to finish getting some goodies. Uh, Sunday School's doing their opening. A um, couple things real quick. We actually do have two adult Bible classes going on on Sunday. Pastor Grady is teaching an adult Bible class that is going through the same material that the Sunday School students are learning. So if you're a parent or someone else that just wants to follow the Enduring Faith program from CPH, uh, Pastor Grady is uh, teaching that in the library, and uh, so you're welcome to partake of that. We are studying the book of Daniel. Um, a quick appeal from our Sunday school um, superintendents. Uh, we have had um, a few more kids than we had planned on for Sunday school. Thanks be to God for that. And so we could really use uh, some additional teachers to help out. Uh, we're trying to do two teachers to a classroom. That way it's not uh, uh, too dependent upon just one person. So if you feel so moved uh, or have a Sunday or two Sundays here to help out, uh, talk to Ann Mundrick or Amanda Probst. Okay? Uh, don't forget, we also have high school Bible class that is now uh, started, and that meets downstairs in the youth room. Uh, Joel and Mary Davis are teaching that. Um, so lots of good, exciting stuff. So, Okay. Any other quick announcements before I let you finish up? Okay, I'm going to give you two minutes here to finish getting coffee and get situated, and then we'll dive into Bible class. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. Uh, let's go ahead and get started with prayer. The Lord be with you. O Lord, we implore you, let your continual pity cleanse and defend your church. And because she cannot continue in safety without your aid, preserve her evermore by your help and goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Uh, so we are studying now, or have begun a study on the book of Daniel. Uh, there should be about 50 copies floating around uh, to get us through the book of Daniel in a efficient fashion. Um, I purchased a reproducible CPH Bible study that we'll just kind of use as a guide to get through that. So I believe those copies have kind of been passed out. Uh, if I need to make more copies each week, I will. Otherwise, if you could just share between couples, that sort of thing, uh, take them home during the week. Um, wanted to give you something to take some notes on. And for those of you that like to do study during the week, have something in your hands uh, to be able to do so. Last week, uh, we uh, talked a little bit about apocalyptic literature, and that's what Daniel is. Uh, Daniel is an apocalyptic book, uh, meaning that it deals with end times. And so we are studying now the book of Daniel to really prepare ourselves for studying the oft-misunderstood book of Revelation. Um, a lot of people have asked, hey, Jesus must be planning on returning pretty soon, uh, especially with the pandemic, uh, the election, Ginsburg died this weekend. I mean, Jesus has got to return soon, right? Um, so, well, let's dive into Scripture and answer some of those questions, okay? Um, so last week, just a quick review, when we talked about characteristics of apocalyptic literature, we identified five things that we will recognize from them. Number one, uh, there will be some sort of promise or uh, revelation of a deliverance from affliction. Uh, number two, there will be dualism, which uh, just think Star Wars, if you have a hard time understanding that word, uh, good versus evil, right? Uh, so the Sith Lord versus the Je Okay, you got it. Uh, number three, God's control. So apocalyptic literature from Scripture will always remind us, uh, you know, who's on first, okay? 
not third or whatever if you're an Abbott Costello fan. God is always in control, okay? Uh, number four, there's going to be revelation of divine secrets, meaning God is going to give some sort of information now in the midst of these books that you're not going to be able to find elsewhere, uh, in, in, especially in this earthly life. Five, uh, there's symbolism. Okay, symbolism that often seems bizarre. We're going to see a little bit of that as we get into Daniel's visions, the book of Revelation, the beast, the horseman. Uh, I got an email earlier this week uh, from a high school student asking about the mark of the beast, things like that. So that's all, that's all part of it. Okay. Um, so one of the things you can do on your own this week, uh, there are some passages that are listed. He'll kind of scroll down them. We're not going to go through all those right now. But if you go through all these passages, try and identify which of those five characteristics of apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature, that's a mouthful, um, are recognized here within the book of Daniel. Okay, We're going to dive into the next section here of the Bible study, which is the interpretation of apocalyptic literature. So throughout the history of the Christian church, there have been essentially four different methods proposed for interpreting the apocalyptic writings of the Holy Scriptures, okay? Um, the first one is that some argue that apocalyptic writings describe historical events that had already occurred at the time of writing, okay? So rather than looking forward, they are looking, what direction? Backwards, okay? Uh, the real author then would uh, claim to be some important individual from the past who had predicted these occurrences, Thus, the prophecy of apocalyptic was actually written after the fact. Well, this interpretation holds true for much non-biblical apocalyptic literature. The Christian confesses that biblical apocalyptic literature is truly prophetic. And underline or write that word off to the side, prophetic. So when we interpret scripture by using scripture, we recognize that it is prophetic. It is pointing forward and indeed was written prior to the events it describes as happening in the future. Okay? Now, some of you have done a little bit of study, and you might be familiar with the term, the historical critical method, which is not how we as Lutheran Christians would interpret Scripture. The historical critic method would take history itself and use that as the deciding judge and jury for whether or not this part of Scripture is actually correct. Okay? Uh, there was a, a Bible project, the Jesus Project, that was back in, uh, I forget, 60s or 70s, and they went through with all the so-called experts to identify what parts of the Bible are actually true and what are not. And the way they did that was they actually would uh, choose colors to highlight the different sections of, of Scripture, okay, uh, and to decide uh, whether it really historically could have happened or not, or whether there was historical fact or archaeological evidence to back it up. Okay? Now, some of you might have studied this. We probably have a few pastors in the room that are aware of that as well. What they ended up with was that only, it was like 3 to 5% of the Bible could actually be factual. And the rest of it would be red or yellow. You know, danger, Will Robinson, they would say. There's no way we can verify that this actually occurred, right? So Jesus healing, you know, that. Uh, Moses, you know, parting the Red Sea. I mean, come on, they would say. That's kind of ridiculous. 
probably what happened was there, you know, Red Sea was pretty small at the time, you know, and maybe there was a a high wind uh, or the water receded, you know, maybe they had some tidal influx. I mean, you get all sorts of crazy things to deny the truth of Scripture. Now, we confess how much of the Bible is actually God's Word? 25%? 50? 75? All? Oh, you're crazy. Really? Yes. We believe that all of the Bible is God's Word, it's inspired, and it's inerrant. Now, history certainly helps understand it, but we don't rely on history to be the judge and jury. Okay? Uh, Number two, interpretation of apocalyptic literature. Others see apocalyptic literature as dealing only with what is to take place immediately before and after the end of the world. So some people would say, oh, apocalyptic literature is only for right at the end. That's it. That's all, you know, we can look at it as. And so while apocalyptic does stress the end times, an interpretation like this fails to consider the historical context out of which a particular apocalyptic writing arose and the message that it had also for the people for whom it was originally written, okay? Now, people that would fall under this method of interpreting, you've probably met before, or perhaps in a prior life, Theophilus, you were one, and that would be a dispensationalist, okay? Uh, Someone who is now looking at a literal rapture, and not just one rapture, but several raptures, this would be akin to the Left Behind series. I think Kirk Cameron was a big... Uh, I watched one or two episodes, and I just about puked. So, um, And same with the books. Uh, it's ridiculous. I think Nicolas Cage was in the movies as well. Um, and all this talks about a secret return of Christ. And, and those of you who are true believers you know, will automatically be raptured up. Everybody else will be left behind. And then those that are left behind will... You're going to have to be part of God's army to fight a big battle. So I guess the devil hasn't been defeated yet by Jesus at the cross. Uh, and so now there's going to be, you know, a secret. There's going to be a rapture. So all of a sudden you'll have an airplane without a pilot, you know, a bus without a driver, you know, your best friends, you know, you're playing football and all of a sudden they're gone uh, or volleyball or whatever. Uh, I mean, it's just there's so many loads of ridiculous when you use Scripture to interpret Scripture But you need to understand that there are some very devout and in their own way well-meaning Christians who cling to these truths. And so part of the reason for our study is also to be able to equip you to engage in some of this conversation. Okay. Um, Ultimately, what that means if you're a dispensationalist is everybody will get a second chance. You like second chances? Who doesn't like second chances? Okay. Um, and so Jesus will return secretly, and then we're going to fight. You know, there's going to be a literal thousand years um, of battle uh, or of Christ's kingdom. It depends on what type of dispensationalist you are. And then, you know, before Jesus returns finally, <laughs> there'll be like a big seven-year, you know, uh, battle and all that stuff. Um, and then those that had opportunity for a second chance hopefully will go on to heaven. Now, I'm kind of summarizing some of that. Uh, dispensationalists do fall into different camps, um, but uh, it's a literal understanding of the millennium, and um, that's how uh, they would see apocalyptic literature in terms of its interpretation. Point number three, still others believe that apocalyptic has nothing to do with actual historical events, but merely gives general principles of life. So there would be those, you know, we're going to study the book of Daniel, and Daniel is actually given a vision of heaven of the throne room, okay? 
Now, it's eerily similar to the vision that John the Baptist has. No, not John the Baptist. John the Revelator, sorry, in the book of Revelation. Eerily similar to a little bit of what uh, Isaiah prophesies as well and Ezekiel. So we see some other connections throughout all of Scripture. Um, but they would say, no, we can't really say that's what heaven looks like now. That's just to help you figure out how to you know, live your best life now. Okay? So this, this would be what I would call the Joel Olstein School of Theology, okay? Uh, so that we're going to take Scripture, and Scripture only exists to do what? Help you become a better you, okay? That would be the main purpose of Scripture. Whereas we would confess, what's the main uh, point of Scripture? To testify to Christ, okay? Christ, who ultimately also is the author of Scripture, and that's why, again, when Jesus places his hands on the scrolls in the synagogue and says, these scriptures testify to me, you know, all the Joel Osteeners in the crowds and all the rest of them raise a ruckus. What? No, that's there to help me, you know, be my best me and, and be a better person and climb Jacob's ladder all the way up to heaven. Okay? All right? Number four, the most satisfying approach, and this is how we're going to study Daniel and Revelation, is to see apocalyptic literature as a broad sketch of the entire history of God's dealings with his people up to and including the end. So what you're going to see when we study, you know, Daniel, okay, so the first six chapters of Daniel, there's 12 chapters in the book, the first six deal with specific life of Daniel. We're going to meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so we've got the, uh, we've got the fiery furnace, right? Uh, we got all this stuff going on, and I'm going to take you on a short tour of history before we're done here this morning. Um, uh, and then the last uh, half of Daniel deals specifically with the visions that God gives him, okay? Um, and so, uh, but in the midst of that, we're going to learn not only of the visions of what heaven looks like now, what it will look like, but it's also applying to God's people at that time, and also summarizing a little bit of the human narrative in terms of the fall into sin, the rescue and promise of a Savior, okay? Um, so long story short, when we read apocalyptic literature, we're not just focusing at the end time. We're focusing on, you know, the now and the not yet, and also a little bit of what has come already, okay? So it's a little more of a zoom your camera or your smartphone out a little bit and see a little bit more of the larger picture, Okay. Questions or comments before we dive into Daniel and open it up? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so her question for those listening uh, online, um, let me see if I can summarize what you said. Uh, for those that would say that this is applying to historical events in addition to, where would that fit in these interpretations? Did I get that right? Um, I would say the last one, four, because it's dealing with people, uh, the entire history of God's dealing with his people up to and including the end. But for example, and, and let me see if I can pick up what you're laying down, um, is Daniel or the book of Revelation dealing with... Um, Who's going to get elected this November? Is that fair? Would that be historical? So does a prophecy from Scripture apply to current events? Okay. How about that? Okay, that's okay. Then I apologize. Uh, so what about um, historical events in terms 
Yes, absolutely. And that would be under number four. So she asked the question, could it be speaking, for example, the fall of Rome? Yes. Matter of fact, what we're going to see in the book of Daniel, and this is why I'm going to take you on a short little historical journey, is a lot of what Daniel is prophesying is or given by God is for his people that are both in captivity and will return back to the northern and the southern kingdom. Okay, um, So yes, it does apply to history, but it's not only history either. Okay, Ultimately, it's, it's the history of God's people. Okay, Now, I might be kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth there, but that's kind of what Scripture does. Okay, Ultimately, the question is, Where's Waldo? Where's Jesus in the midst of this, right? So we don't always know, for example, with some of the prophecies, um, what specifically are they referring to? Could it be, you know, the, the fall of Rome or, or Cyrus? Well, if it explicitly states that, then we would accept that as fact. Otherwise, we're left with, uh, you know, uh, various interpretations. So again, what we try and do is, is, is zoom out, connect the dots to Jesus to find out with, with Christ and with his church and with his promises. Um, and sometimes we're just left with, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know if that answered your question completely, but let's dive into it and see if this helps a little bit. Okay. So let's talk about the author. Daniel, by the way, is one of the most hotly debated books among academics and has been widely discredited as being written by Daniel, okay? We would claim and believe that it is written by Daniel, and I'm going to take you through some scripture to show you that, but historical critics have widely just ignored Daniel. And so, um, unfortunately, uh, when you look at Daniel compared to some of the other apocalyptic books or whatever, you won't find a whole lot of literature on it. Uh, because it's like, well, this is just, this is made up, um, or it just, it couldn't have happened, okay? And that's that's real unfortunate. Uh, I mentioned someone that I learned a lot from prior to seminary, um, and uh, and, and uh, uh, that was Dr. Uh, Reverend Dr. Harry Wentz, who wrote the Crossways uh, Bible Study Series. My dad did some artwork for that. I grew up with it, uh, took the classes many times, got all the stuff on my shelf, and uh, and I didn't remember ever going through Daniel with it. And the guy's absolutely marvelous on, on many points, walking through, explaining, you know, covenant. Uh, and covenant is a word that occurs quite a bit in Scripture. Uh, sometimes we ignore it as Lutherans because we're afraid of being too widely connected to um, uh, unsound covenantal theology, which is a whole other discussion. Um, so I went through Dr. Wentz's materials, and I was trying to find some notes on Daniel, and guess what I found? Nada. Nothing. Hardly even mentions the guy. And so he, he chose to avoid it because, one, he knew it was a, an issue with ecumenicals. <laughs> and uh, so he doesn't go into great detail. It talks a lot about Isaiah, talk about Ezekiel, but very little on Daniel, which is really, really sad. And that's part of the reason that, you know, as we've grown up or you look at the, the church, the readings, the scripture that, that the church has chosen uh, for herself to learn and, and that would be, for example, we use the historic one-year lectionary. So over the course of being born to 18 years, you know, you're getting these three or four or five scripture uh, 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 sections, okay? You're getting them 18 times. So repetition is the mother of learning, okay? 
Uh, and that's one, one reason I like the one-year series rather than the three-year series, uh, which actually uh, Rome invented back in Vatican II, because with a three-year series, how often are you getting these main Bible stories on Sunday? Six times. Six times three is 18. Okay? So six as opposed to 18... Okay, um, so that's without even getting into, and it's not a matter, all God's word is useful for instruction, for correcting, for admonishing and righteousness. So we're not going to get into the battle of which scripture is more important than the other. The reason the church always had a one-year cycle of readings was to give more exposure to the fundamental stories of scripture. Okay, does it make it more difficult on the preachers? <laughs> yeah, it does, because every year we're coming up with, you know, uh, you've got three to five to pick from. But to be honest, I've been preaching on the one year now for, um, boy, close to 10 years, and I I've, I've just have never had a, a time where I'm like, oh, I don't know what to say, <laughs> or I've said this already. You always find something new, okay? All right, enough about that. Let's answer this question. No hands. What indication about the authorship of the book of Daniel is given in the following passages? So let's go ahead and do that real quick. Let's look at uh, chapter 7, verse 1, uh, 7, verse 1 to 2, and let's read that one together. He's going to make this bigger, I think, for us. Okay. That's just going to make the text, but you need to drag the box over. He's using a new thing. You might as well just put the Hebrew and Aramaic up on the left so the smart people in the room can uh, read that. I can't read Aramaic. That's the other thing about Daniel, by the way. Daniel is actually uh, uh, bilingual or written in two languages. So uh, about two-thirds of it is written in Hebrew, uh, and the other third is written in Aramaic, Okay, which is kind of interesting. We don't know why. Uh, scholars have uh, made lots of guesses as to that. Uh, it could just be a little bit of, uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Daniel writing everything. But we'll, we'll get into that here a little bit. Here we go. Let's, can you read that? In a, is that big enough for you? He'll figure it out. Um, okay, here we go. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. We're going to stop right there and ask the question, who do we hear from this book, has the visions, and then writes them down? Daniel, okay? Uh, let's, go to eight, let's go to verse 28, 7 verse 28. So we just want to see what the, what the letter is claiming for itself. You ready? Here we go. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So again, whose thoughts? Vision, Daniel. Let's go to 8 verse 1. Let's read it again. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. So who are the visions given to? Daniel. Let's go to 15. Okay. You're, you're going to probably get tired of reading some of these because they pretty much say the same thing. Uh, 15, here we go. You ready? When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. Wait for it. You're going you're gonna to love this son of man, the appearance of a man, um, and see how Jesus was at work before Jesus actually became a human being. Because Jesus was always the son of God. 
okay? Always the second person of the Trinity. Uh, John's Gospel tells us, uh, who spoke creation into existence? The Word, the Logos, the pre-incarnate Christ. It was the Word. That's what John confesses, okay? And then John 1.14, and then the Word, this Logos, became flesh, right? And made his dwelling among us, okay? Uh, what are we on? 9 verse 2, okay? We're just kind of letting our fingers do in the walk in here. Oh, I'm getting dizzy now, son. 9 verse 2, okay? In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, here's a direct answer to the historical question of whether apocalyptic literature is applied to current events, if I understood your question correctly. And so it would claim that here in itself. So he mentions Jeremiah, and he's also going to talk about uh, the, the, the desolations. He's going to talk about the 70 years, okay, which is actually the amount of time that passed. And I'm going to take you on a little walkthrough of history here in a second, just with names and dates, because you've got the, uh, you know, the, the, the captivity by the Assyrians first, if you will, with the northern kingdom, uh, Assyrians, then Babylonians, then Babylonians with the southern kingdom, um, and you'll, you'll see where the 70 years come in. So it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Okay, all right, uh, what's the next one? 10 verse 2. Here we go. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. So we just got a reference to Daniel again. Let's go to 12 verse 4 and 12 verse 5. Here we go. Uh, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the bank of the stream. Okay, hang on to that or in your notes because in, in Revelation, there's a lot of talk about a river. <laughs> and there's a lot of talk about an angel who has one foot in the sea and one foot on land. I, it's just that when you start you know, interpreting Revelation based on Daniel, the, the, the similarities will just give you goosebumps, okay? Um, especially knowing that what Daniel, uh, you know, wrote down uh, would have been written down somewhere towards the end of the, well, let's see, I always get backwards when I'm working B.C. or B.C.E., before the Common Era, but I prefer before Christ. Uh, so uh, you're, you're talking, you know, early 500s roughly, Okay, uh, so Daniel would have been probably between 80 to 90 years of old, uh, 90 years of age when he finally wrote all this down. Uh, he was taken away into captivity as young as 10, probably no older than 18 or 19. Uh, so Daniel actually spends pretty much the whole time, 70 years in Babylon. We'll get into that in a second. Okay, all right. Um, and then we got five. Daniel looked. Okay, so Daniel, 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 Daniel. Now take us to Matthew 24:15. And let's answer this question. So now we're going to the New Testament. So, so we're going some, you know, 600 years into the future, right? Uh, Back to the Future 2 was on last night. I turned it on after I got home because golf was over with, and I just needed something to unwind before we had. So I only watched like 10 minutes of it. But, you know, Marty McFly is trying to, you know, uh, prevent Biff from getting the almanac. And, oh, anyway, so it's all this kind of time travel type stuff, right? Um, and uh, so we have... 
you know, prophecy from the Old Testament that now we see fulfilled in the New Testament. And, and there was no magical DeLorean to ferry information back and forth. No crazy professor, right, uh, to do that. So let's read Matthew 24, 15 together. These are red-letter words. So this is Jesus. Jesus said, here we go. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. So Daniel, what what Jesus is saying is Daniel is prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem, which Jesus also prophesies himself says that uh, uh, it's going to happen. No stone is going to be left unturned. Uh, we know that took place in 70 A.D. So there were, there were three temples. First one was built by Solomon. Second one, we're going to actually cover that here. Uh, second one was built after the return from the captivity. The third and final one, uh, and the one that Jesus would have been at, was built by, by Herod, Herod the Great. Okay, question in the back. Um, so the book of Daniel makes those claims for itself that I, Daniel, am, am writing them down. Um, could some people be saying that, well, you know, uh, it's, it, it, Daniel is saying it's, it's, it's God's words, it's, it's, it's not mine. Um, a little different than English. I mean, yeah, English is obviously the translation of both the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and it's difficult sometimes to get the word structure um, I would simply say this, is that uh, the book of Daniel for itself makes it very clear and claims for itself who is, that who is the author? That Daniel is the author. So he says that he's the one that has the visions. He claims that he is the one that has written it down. Um, and, you know, so, and we accept that as it is. Okay? Um, so uh, to, to deny that, Daniel didn't write this, okay, um, and, and that's what historical critics uh, will do. Um, if it's not Daniel, then Scripture's not reliable, first of all, right? So then Scripture's not reliable, okay? Um, Jesus then is also not the author. He's not the Logos. And then Old Testament prophecy also falls under suspicion. It becomes fallible. Okay, let's do this real quick. Let's back up a little bit and let's take a trip down uh, memory lane. Can you pull up uh, real quick a little sheet that I put together? And you can, guys can take notes on this, okay? Make that as big as you can for the folks. So in 722, okay, Samaria, uh, that's, that's the northern kingdom, that's Israel. And the last couple of weeks, if you've, if you've been listening not just in Bible class, but sermons. We've been talking a little bit about northern and southern kingdoms, so this is kind of timely uh, to put your pieces of your brain together, let the synopsis fire. So Samaria is captured by the Assyrians, okay? Uh, the Assyrians basically uh, become uh, taken over by the Babylonians or the Medes. So this is the northern kingdom. This is Israel, okay? Um, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to jump down about 100 years. In 605, Nebuchadnezzar uh, is a general uh, in the Babylonian army, okay? And his, his father is dying. His father is king of Babylon. And so uh, king uh, sends his son to Egypt because Egypt now, which is another powerful force, okay? And keep in mind, the Bible lands have always been uh, a source of contention, I mean, just historically, you study world history, 
perhaps more so than anywhere else in the world. And so the Egyptians now were concerned that the Assyrians and the Babylonians were doing what? Acquiring, they're getting too close to Egypt. Okay, So a big battle was fought. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar basically triumphs over the Egyptians. Later that same year in 605, I didn't have this up here, um, Nebuchadnezzar's father dies. And guess who becomes the king of Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to be hearing a lot about him in the book of Daniel. Okay. Uh, in 586, then, um, King Nebuchadnezzar captures Jerusalem. Okay? Now, all these dis- deportations that, that uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah and other prophets had prophesied or lived during did not just take place like in one year. So people were gradually taken uh, from the Bible lands over to Assyria, to Babylon, over a 10, 20-year period and even more. Okay? Um, why did uh, this other uh, country come in and take all the people? Well, why did the United States want the German rocket scientists from World War II, after World War II? Why? Because they were the best at what they did. Okay? German technology was ridiculous on some fronts, and they were ahead of where we were in the United States, and that's just fact. Okay? Uh, and that's kind of how the, you know, uh, the bombs got built uh, and later on, and, and, and all that stuff. So study your history, folks. You know, not the first time that that happened. So that's what Babylon and Assyria did, was they took all the, the, the smart cookies uh, and the people they could train. Uh, Daniel was obviously very bright. Uh, he ends up serving basically in uh, the court uh, for his, his whole career. Um, so he's identified early on as someone, you know, who, uh, hey, this guy could be a Rhodes Scholar. Right? Uh, this, this guy, you know, my goodness, he got a 35 or a 36 on the SAT and, you know, a 1540 on the SAT or whatever for you parents that know what all that stuff means. And so we're going to fast track him, right? Uh, you know, he's, he's going he's gonna, to, uh, what's in the Navy where you go from being an enlisted guy, you put, they put you on a track to become an, an admiral? Yeah, it's a special... Yeah, and they, they identify the, the young, even not commissioned, but enlisted uh, men and or women that have the abilities for leadership and the mind. And, you know, we're, we're, so that's what happened with Daniel, okay? Um, so when we hear about, and I'm going to make one other connection for you, when we hear about the wise men from the Christmas story, and the wise men came from the east, who could the wise men probably have been, or most likely They would have been (laughs) smart cookies that had been trained uh, out east, not in China necessarily, but probably Babylon and Assyria. Okay, very interesting. Okay, Um, and so that faith, uh, perhaps even Scripture itself, had been passed down from all the days back in Babylon. Technically, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would fit the qualifications or definition, you ready for this, of wise men. Okay, um, sometimes people will say magicians or sorcerers. It's much more to it than that. Okay, uh, very learned men. Okay, fast forward a little bit. So in 586, uh, um, uh, Jerusalem now uh, falls. Okay, um, um, uh, Babylon. Uh, or, uh, yeah, in 586, Jerusalem is captured by the Babylonians. So that's now the southern kingdom, Judah. In 539, so this is 47 years later, Babylon then falls to Cyrus. Uh, and King Cyrus is an unbeliever. Okay, don't get too bored with the history here. But the, but 
Scripture does tell us that uh, God uses King Cyrus, who is an unbelieving heathen king, to help his people. And it's actually as King Cyrus that now allows the people of Judah to return to their homeland and actually to rebuild the temple. Okay? Uh, so regardless of who's in office or whether the elections go your way this year or any year prior or any year after, what do you as a Christian always trust? That whoever is elected, God's going to do what? He will use them for his will. Okay? And he will provide for you. Okay? Uh, how do you know that? He's done it before. Okay? Now, in the past, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets. Now, in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. Okay? So just be careful you don't get too bent out of shape, okay, in the midst of, of politics and, and current climate. Um, there's always been those challenges, and be careful who you put your faith in as well. Okay? All elected officials. Okay? So I'm talking not only to both sides of the aisle, just to you as Christians. Okay? of what you need to trust and believe that God is yet at work and bigger than all this. So in 516, the temple is finally completed, is rebuilt. It obviously took some time. Uh, fast forward then after that, in 334, Alexander the Great, so this is from Greece, conquers the Medes and the Persians. In 323, Alexander the Great dies. The kingdom then is divided under control of uh, uh, the Ptolemy from Egypt and Seleucus from Syria. Uh, 175, Antiochus the uh, uh rules Palestine. In 167, Antiochus institutes worship of Greek gods in Palestine and also commands it in the temple, which leads to revolt from the Jews. And so three years later, they regain control of the temple, first under Mattathias Hasmonius and then his son Judas Maccabeus. In the apocryphal books, the intertestinal writings, we have 1st, 2nd, 3rd Maccabees, which are very good history of what happened during this time, okay? And that's actually where Hanukkah comes from, okay? Uh, get the Adam Sandler, happy, happy Hanukkah in your head, for those of you that are goofball comedians, okay? And 142, uh, the Jews then win political independence, okay? Um, but we know that doesn't last because in 63, Pompey, conquers Palestine for Rome, which then, and then Rome basically has control throughout the rest of the New Testament, okay? So I just want you to have a little bit of an understanding of, you know, who's in control of what uh, in terms of the Bible lands, because that also applies to Daniel. Daniel's visions are going to apply to this timeline, this brief timeline, this history that I just shared with you, okay? All right, any quick questions on that or anything that that prompted? We're almost out of time for today. Um, oh, I need to put a map up there. Um, I tell you what, next week, I'll, I'll throw a map up here so you can kind of see geographically what we're talking about, okay? Um, the easiest way, now, I'm just going to get a map next week, okay? Good, 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 good question, okay? And it was difficult, remember, because the, the, the borders in the areas are, are constantly changing depending on who's in control. But here's the easiest thing for you. So you got Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom. So right. So so Nazareth is Nazareth is is up to the top. Okay. Samaria. You got down south. You've got you know Jerusalem, if you will. Okay. Um, and now I'm facing that. Everything basically to the east. Okay. Um, and especially more now up to the north. Okay. So, so the first group, uh, Medes, uh, Persians, if you will, think Persia, come down here. 
Um, and now we've got, and, and that, when you look at that map and you overlay it with uh, conflict that's going on still today, what nations are you going to see? Iran and Iraq. That's exactly right. So Babylon technically is Iraq. That's exactly right. Yeah, no, good question. Yeah, yeah, I think Medes, Persians, uh, you know, mainly more, more north, if you will, uh, Babylon more to the south, okay, but all of that off to the east, okay. I'll get you a map next week, okay. If you have a study Bible, you can kind of look up some of those maps and just kind of get, some people are very visual like that. Probably firefighters like to have maps and layouts of everything. So I get that. Sorry, I was trying to create word pictures for you, so my fault. <laughs> So, okay. <laughs> okay, uh, we're out of time for today. Any other closing questions? We're going to jump into some of the, um, if you kind of fast forward, um, yeah, we're just, we're just going to ju- jump into Daniel chapter 1 then next week. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, uh, and Abednego, the testing of the four men, Daniel as well. Um, Any other questions? Okay, if you haven't already, go ahead and open up the book of Daniel uh, this week. We're not going to read through it in class. We're going to be pulling out some of those things. Um, You know, make make it through the first chapter to this week. Um, You know, if you want to go ahead and jump ahead, you can. Um, I think we've got 10, 11, or 12 lessons with this, but we'll kind of take it as it goes as well. Okay, anything else? Okay, hope you learned a little something today. And... uh, Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.